Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege you give us of coming together. Thank you so much that you've allowed light to shine on our paths, pointing us to you, to your principles, to your grace, to your love. Father, you're longing to reach not only us with a clearer understanding of who you are and how you want us to cooperate with you, but you're trying to reach the world and you've entrusted us with a comprehensive message to do that. Please help us to better grasp it today. Please help us learn things that encourage us on our own journey as well, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've all got these, don't we? Whether they're watches or cell phones, we have different ways of keeping time. And so the question is, are these timekeeping devices our friends or are they our enemies? You ever thought about it? Well, you say if we didn't have them, we wouldn't be here right now. And in fact, maybe some people aren't here right now because they don't have one. But we get to a certain point in our lives where it seems that most of us are more concerned not about well, reaching certain milestones as far as having another event uh, on the calendar, but we're more interested in turning back the clock. Can some of you relate to this? I see some of you looking bewildered. That's good. That's a testimony to your youthful attitude. Turning back the clock. Can we do it? Can we actually turn back the clock? Some of you are shaking your heads no, but I would like to suggest to you that medical science is suggesting that there are at least some things we can do to at least forestall, maybe even turn back, some of the effects of aging. And it relates to a science called hemorrheology. Hemorrheology. Now, no doubt some are not here today because they heard we would be, we would be speaking about hemorrheology, and they said, well, we know all about that. Actually, I find that most even professionals have not even heard the term Hemorrheology. Just what is it and why is it important? Well, literally, it comes from a couple of roots. Hemo, that refers to blood, and rheology, that refers to the science dealing with the flow properties of complex materials. So civil engineers tell me that they've taken classes on rheology, the flow properties of fluids. If they're dealing with the waste in a community, they have to know about rheology because uh, sewage is a complex fluid, as you might have gathered. But if you were to look in a medical dictionary, you'd find some definitions for hemorrheology, and here are a couple of them. The first one is the science of the physical properties of blood blood flow in the circulatory system. And then the science of the relation of pressures, flows, volumes, and resistances in blood vessels. Oh, you say, boy, that sounds very scholarly, but uh, what does it mean practically? Well, really, hemorrheology is the science of the red blood cell. A couple of months ago, I was in Europe. A number of us were there, many ASI members. We were having an international conference dealing especially with lifestyle medicine. Now, on that particular trip, I did not rent a car. Maybe some of you have had the experience of renting a car in Europe. I can remember once driving a car on one of those European streets, and it seemed that 
Well, the further and further I went, the narrower and narrower the street became, and the buildings became closer and closer together, and finally it seemed I only had two choices. I could either back out, or I could try to squeeze between the two buildings. How many of you would like to guess what I did? I backed out. Why did I not keep going forward? Yes, it would have damaged the car, right? The car doesn't have any give. It doesn't have any ability to squeeze through passageways that are more narrow than its diameter. Now the question is, what about your red blood cell? Or your red blood cells, more precisely. Can they squeeze through passageways that are smaller than the diameter of the red cell? Well, I see those of you that have some medical background, you're nodding your heads yes, and that's correct, because your capillaries are actually smaller in diameter than your red blood cells. The creator has designed that the red blood cells actually have to squeeze through the capillaries, and this maximizes contact between the red blood cell and the blood vessel wall, which maximizes the ability for exchange, which is what the red blood cells are all about. So what you're rental car can't do in Europe, your red blood cells can do in your body, provided, provided you have good hemorrheology, which allows those red blood cells to flow smoothly through the passageways in your body. So hemorrheology in a nutshell is simply the science that describes how effectively blood flows through your vessels, nourishing your tissues, taking away wastes. Simple enough, right? Hemorrheology. Well, how important really is it well, years ago, some, someone actually far wiser than me, and I would suggest uh, far wiser than any of us in the room, inspired someone to write these words. Perfect health depends upon perfect circulation. I believe it was the creator himself who inspired this statement. Now, I'm sure many people have read this over the years, and they've said, well, this is just wonderful poetry. Isn't it? Perfect health depends on perfect circulation. I mean, surely a metaphor for uh, that, how important it is to have a healthy circulation. But I would suggest to you that this is cutting-edge medical science today. Because what the research is showing us is if we improve our blood fluidity, we can decrease our risk of a host of conditions. Stroke, coronary artery disease, blindness, cancer, cognitive decline, high blood pressure or hypertension, diabetes, cholesterol problems, weight gain, bone and joint problems, physical aging, and suboptimal physical performance. How many of you are interested in this topic? Now you say, come on, I mean, surely, is this really that important and we haven't heard much about it? Is hemorrheology that important? Well, we can't look comprehensively today, but I want to spend the first portion of our time, I've roughly divided this presentation into thirds. The first third, I want to go over with you why hemorrheology is important, because after all, no matter how much we talked about it, if you didn't think it was important, you would say, well, why did he tell us all these things that we could do to improve our blood fluidity if it doesn't really matter, okay? So we want to spend a little bit of time with that. The next third of the presentation, I want to tell you how you can use this material in your efforts to help your community. Really, we're talking about health evangelism, how you can use the science of blood fluidity as a 
effective entering wedge. And then last, we'll talk about some specific things that you can do and some specific things that the media and even the medical community by and large is getting wrong. And I want to spend some special time dealing with caffeine and alcohol and uh, their impact on optimal hemorrheology and optimal health because a lot of confusion out there, not only in the world, but dare I say it, even among Seventh-day Adventists. Have you noticed? Well, those of you that are looking bewildered, I'm glad you uh, have such a fine community that you're surrounded by. Well, actually, uh, some of you may have seen a DVD series that we've already produced on the topic. It's called Longevity Plus, and we're in the process of releasing a new book called The Methuselah Factor. Uh, should be out in the next few months with God's blessing. And you say, well, Dr. DeRose, I can just, I don't need any of these resources. I can just Google it. I can learn everything I would possibly want about hemorrheology. Well, the problem is, most studies don't comprehensively look at blood fluidity. You've got to know what things to look for. And, well, furthermore, when even a study looks at something that impacts blood fluidity, they may never use the term hemorrheology. So I'm going to try to walk you through the literature, give you some high points, things to look for, and uh, let's take some examples from this list that I showed you earlier. Stroke and blood fluidity. This is a study published some years ago, a fascinating study, looking at nearly 300 individuals who had signs of severely impaired blood flow to the brain. They had either had a stroke or what we call a TIA, a transient ischemic attack. Some of you realize that looks just like a stroke, but it reverses, usually within a matter of minutes, but by definition, within 24 hours. So, 297 people, they've all got signs of disease. Disease blood flow to their brains, and they're comparing them to healthy individuals. What did they find? They found that if their blood fluidity was worse, they had a greater risk of TIA or stroke. And here are some of the things that you'd be looking for if you were doing a medical research literature review on blood fluidity. You would want to look at hematocrit. Who would like to give us a definition of hematocrit? Do any of you know what that is? Okay, yeah, it's the percentage of your blood that is made up of red blood cells. Okay? So if your hematocrit is 50, what percentage of your blood is made up of red blood cells? 50% or half, right? Okay? So is a high hematocrit good or is it bad? Wow, this guy, he's not even sat in my college classroom. My favorite questions to ask students is it depends. And he's exactly right. Too low a hematocrit, you're anemic, and you have trouble carrying oxygen to your brain and to your other organs. This is not good. But is a high hematocrit good? Well, an excessively high hematocrit is actually bad. Well, to an extent. Now, some of you realize that there's a competitive sport in the world that uh, for many years has been preoccupied with artificially boosting their hematocrit. They're elite cyclists. This has been going on for decades. In the old days, before we had medications that could be given that would boost hematocrit, they would actually give themselves autologous transfusions. That's right, blood would be drawn from them over the course of maybe a couple months. They end up with a couple of units of blood in the refrigerator, their friendly, complicit doctor, of course. 
And then just before the race, they'd get an infusion of their own blood, a couple of units. Now their hematocrit is higher. How would that help them? Well, they can carry more oxygen. So this is beneficial, but the price that they pay is it impairs their hemorrheology. And there's fairly well-documented evidence of literally dozens of elite cyclists, at least a couple dozen in that ballpark, dying because of blood doping. Their hematocrit was too high, and then presumably when they got somewhat dehydrated in the course of the race, or immediately thereafter, they actually died. High hematocrit, when it comes to blood fluidity, is deleterious. The higher the hematocrit in this research, the greater the risk of stroke and TIA. They also found that plasma viscosity was a risk factor for stroke. This is another indicator of blood fluidity. Now, I have a prop here with me. It's not uh, an unusual prop, but I want you to watch very carefully what happens here, okay? Did that go down pretty quickly? Is water a viscous fluid or a fluid with low viscosity? Yes, yeah, so if it's like water, it's low viscosity. Now, how many of you think I could have done that if it was honey? No, not only would it have made me sick, but it wouldn't have poured down so quickly, right? So, viscosity. The higher the viscosity, the worse as far as your risk of stroke or TIA in this study. What's the next on our list? Fibrinogen. Fibrinogen is a clotting protein. The higher your level of fibrinogen, the greater your risk of stroke, the poorer your blood fluidity, the worse your hemorrheology. And then last, red blood cell aggregation, the tendency of red blood cells to stick together. The more tendency they have to clump, the more your blood flow is going to suffer. Sound simple enough? Now, we've been talking a lot about a single medical concept. It's called what? Hemorrheology. I see some of you are already struggling. Now, this is going to be embarrassing. If you sit here for an hour and 15 minutes, you leave and you say, well, where did you go for the seminar? You said, I went to hear Dr. DeRose. Well, what did he speak about? Well, he spoke about um, uh, hemolo, hemorrhage. It would be embarrassing, right? Okay, so there's another name that I like to use to refer to hemorrheology, and I like to call it the Methuselah factor. Now, why do you think I, I call it that? It's easy to remember. But Methuselah, right? He was the longest-lived person on this planet. Do I have it correct? Now, there's some other people that have lived longer that were on this planet. Yeah, like Enoch and Elijah, I guess. Uh, but um, there's some others you could come up with. But Methuselah lived the longest on this planet. So I am, I am, I am confident that Methuselah had good hemorrheology. Do you think that's a leap? Well, some of you are saying, Dr. DeRose, you're taking some liberty with uh, the scriptures, but I, I think this is, you know, I think I could defend it. So we're calling it the Methuselah factor because it helps us give us longer life and better quality of life. Now you say, we, all you talked about was strokes so far. Well, we could just as well have talked about coronary artery disease. Let me just show you one of many studies we could have looked at. And this is one from Europe. They looked at the risk of having a serious heart event, like a heart attack. And what they did is they divided the population into quarters. 
They were looking at a single marker of hemorrheology, plasma viscosity. Remember, is lower good or is it bad? Lower viscosity is good. More like water, lower viscosity, good. Look at those with the lowest viscosity and compare them with the quarter of the population with the highest. There is over triple the risk of having a serious heart event. Is this good news or bad news? Well, it's bad news if you've got bad blood fluidity. Good news if your blood fluidity is good, right? I mean, this is more powerful than many of the risk factors that we get all worried about. Hemorrheology, very important. What about blindness? Is it related to blood fluidity? You may have issues with glaucoma or macular degeneration. The research shows, if you look at the research, it's basically hemorrheology that again comes into the picture. Plasma viscosity, fibrinogen, another factor that influences blood fluidity called the von Willebrand factor. The worse these are in this particular study, greater risk of macular degeneration. What about glaucoma, that condition of elevated eye pressure? Again, I mean, this looks like they're just, uh, in fact, if you were students in a classroom, and one of you, your name was stroke, the other was coronary artery disease, the other was macular degeneration, and the teacher looked at your test, they would say, you're putting all the same answers down. Maybe you don't like the analogy, but my point is, it looks like the same list. All the things that affect blood fluidity affect our risk of vision health over time. Now you say, now cancer. Now, Dr. DeRose, this all made sense. Stroke, heart attack, yes, this is related to blood fluidity. It makes sense to me. You know, if your eyes aren't getting good circulation, then you could be at higher risk of eye problems. But cancer, I mean, that just does not make sense. How could cancer have anything to do with blood fluidity? Well, it does. This is a study looking at some of these factors that affect blood fluidity, platelets or the clotting cells in your body, or clotting cell fragments, if you want to be more precise, are among those factors, fibrinogen and thrombin. This is looking at your risk of developing cancer in the first place, primary cancer, and metastatic cancer. What this particular review was looking at is it was showing how hemorrheology was related to your risk of cancer, developing it in the first place, and if you've got cancer, your risk of surviving. Now, we can't fathom this whole topic, of course, today. Remember, in this uh, first third of the presentation, we're trying to just go through these connections between blood fluidity and disease states to show you how important it is. Let me give you one example. Whether you call it the Methuselah factor, the H factor, whether you call it hemorrheology, this research looked at it. They were looking at gynecologic cancers, women who had female cancers, and they measured plasma viscosity, this marker of hemorrheology. Now, you look at what they found, and you might be tempted to yawn because they found that they were more likely to have blood clots if they had worse viscosity. How many of you are surprised by that? You say, no, this is pretty obvious, right? If your blood viscosity is worse, you have a surgery, you're more likely to have a clot, no surprises there. But what was really amazing is that viscosity was also an indicator, a marker of overall survival. So if you had a low viscosity, if your viscosity was more like water, if you had better 
hemorrheology, a better Methuselah factor, you are more likely to survive longer with ovarian cancer. You say, well, how could that be? Does that make any sense at all? Well, here's what the authors wrote. Now, I'm actually using the very language they used in the study, and we'll try to break it down for those of you who don't have a medical background. So in gynecologic cancer patients, women with these female cancers, the combination of an increase in RBC aggregation, that's the tendency of red blood cells to clump, and plasma viscosity, what we've been talking about, impairs blood flow properties. What are they talking about here? What are they talking about? That's right, the Methuselah factor. By the way, I'm going to give you a little tip. If I ask you a question as a group, there's a high likelihood the answer will be the Methuselah factor or hemorrheology or some other synonym, okay? So what they found, what? Is that this was impairing hemorrheology and, as a result, it was inducing hypoxia in the microcirculation. In other words, the tiny blood vessels were not getting optimal red cell delivery, oxygen levels were falling in those tiny blood vessels, it was predisposing to thrombosis, tiny little clots forming in those tiny capillaries and other blood vessels, and as a result, it was providing a place for metastatic cancer cells to lodge and be sequestered or hidden from the immune system. Interesting, isn't it? The settlement of tumor cells and thus metastasis. So what I'm trying to tell you is that this is really important stuff. Okay? It's not that one day I was saying, boy, I got to come out with a new DVD series and a new book, and uh, I was having trouble sleeping, so I took out the medical dictionary, closed my eyes, and pointed to a page, and what? Hemorrheology. Well, that sounds interesting. No, this is really cutting-edge stuff. What about cognitive decline? Well, <clears throat> hematocrit and mental health. Uh, we've been sitting here for a little bit. It's time for an exercise to measure choice reaction time. You ready for it? Now, choice reaction time is your ability to respond to a stimulus. Okay? How quickly you respond is your choice reaction time. So we're going to test it out as a group. Now, of course, if we were doing this in a laboratory, we'd have probably a video monitor and a computer, and maybe you'd be hitting something on a keyboard or, or using some, of, some kind of a keypad, okay? So, let's try it out. I'm going to say the name of a color. When I say the name of a color, I want you to raise your right hand. You think you can handle that? Okay, you all ready? We're going we're to see how quickly you could do it. You ready? Okay. Fire truck. No, come on, it's not a color. Okay. Okay. Red. Okay. Now, I saw quite a variance in choice reaction time, right? Did you catch that? Is quicker better or is slower better? Now, if someone in back right, yeah, someone in back right now just put up their hand that I said red, would this be an indicator of, of good cognitive function or maybe that there is some problem there? There's a problem. So you're looking at lower scores, those are better. So if you have a low hematocrit, you're anemic, you can't get adequate oxygen to your brain, and you can't perform mentally as well. 
But what happens once you get to a you know, modest hematocrit here, around maybe what, 46? Then what starts to happen? As your hematocrit rises, your mental function gets worse. Gets worse. Now, if we were to look at another marker of blood fluidity, this time viscosity, we find the more your blood is like water, the better your mental performance. Interesting, isn't it? So, if we improve our blood fluidity, our mental performance improves as well. Isn't this exciting? Now, we're going to talk in the last portion of this presentation about things you can do to improve your blood fluidity, but we're tipping our hand right now. We're tipping our hand because research has shown that something called venous section can improve mental alertness in many people. What is venous section? That's right, having blood removed. Do you realize that if you're a blood donor and you have a hematocrit like the average American, you will more likely help your brain performance than, help, than hurt it by donating blood? So you thought people donate blood to help other people. Now this is interesting, isn't it? Have you heard about other things in life where you help other people and it benefits you more than them? Perhaps some of you could think of a Bible verse that may uh, give some indication of this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You say, Dr. DeRose, that's stretching the Bible verse. But it, it's true when it comes to this medical science that when you donate blood, it's actually helping you perhaps more than the people say, well, I mean, some people really need blood, Dr. DeRose. You get the point, though. Donating blood is one thing you can do to improve your hemorrheology. Now you say, but Dr. DeRose, they won't take my blood anymore. Well, there's a number of other things that we'll talk about that can help you. Okay, we could talk about diabetes, we could talk about weight gain, we could talk about a number of things related to hemorrheology. Here's uh, one study looking at a person's tendency to gain significant amount of weight over the course of this, uh, in this case, a three-year study. And what they found, another look at a variety of markers of poor blood fluidity. The yellow means worse blood fluidity, and if you had worse blood fluidity, you are more likely to gain weight. So if you're trying to lose weight or maintain your weight, then better blood fluidity apparently helps with metabolism. Interesting stuff. What about bone and joint problems? Could there be any connection there with hemorrheology? There is. Whether we look at uh, a common problem like back pain, I just put some journal articles. This is material that we've got in the book. Most of the book is written, and uh, actually a good portion of it's edited already. But um, this is a study, actually, um, oh boy, I didn't, uh, I hid some of those slides on you. Um, Actually, you know, we got a lot of ground to cover. We'll look at it as a providence. So, um, this is uh, looking at um, autoimmune diseases. I think the order is just a little different than I recalled. So, we're first looking at autoimmune diseases. So, when you think of autoimmune bone and joint diseases, you may think of something like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. Scleroderma is another disease in this uh, family. 
And what I want you to notice is basically here they're asking, you know, whether rheology, hemorrheology, or blood rheology is one of the factors leading to scleroderma and its complications. And it's actually from the journal Clinical Hemorrheology and Microcirculation. Yes, there's a whole journal devoted to this topic. This is um, another study looking at uh, scleroderma again and how hemorrheology impacts this autoimmune disease. There's studies looking at lupus and how hemorrheology is involved in this autoimmune disease. So there's autoimmune bone and joint diseases where hemorrheology plays a role, but then the more common things like back pain and degenerative disc disease also seem to be linked to blood fluidity and to circulation. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time with this. But physical aging, there's also evidence that you could turn back some of the effects of, uh, of aging by hemorrheology, by changing your diet and lifestyle to improve your blood fluidity. And uh, here's a list of some of the things that change. It's actually a table taken uh, right from our, our book looking at things that change as we get older. Now, it's interesting to me. You look at this list. This is basically just showing your hemorrheology tends to worsen as you get older. Now, there's a lot of people out there that want to sell you stuff because they say, well, you know what? Certain levels in your blood are not as good as when you were younger and take this supplement and take that because it's changing as you get older. But there's something much simpler you can do as you get older, and that's just focus on improving your blood fluidity. And that's why this topic is so important. You can actually improve physical performance as well. So hopefully, hopefully, we've, uh, we've made a case for improving your blood fluidity. No matter whether you're concerned about living longer or living better, living leaner or living sharper, I think you should be interested by now in improving your blood fluidity. Are we all on the same page? Okay, so that was my goal in the first portion, is to say this stuff really is important. It's just not something that I'm just making up. It's really critical. And if people in your community realize that you're talking about this topic, I mean, it really is a comprehensive approach to a healthy lifestyle. So we have the DVD mini-series available. Uh, this is, um, we're still working with uh, some graphic designers on the cover of the book. I'm not sure this will be the final cover, but... Um, this is really all you need to do a seminar on this topic in your community. You just need the book and an inexpensive DVD. In fact, um, Sonia, my wife, uh, she has some um, material here for you. You want to pass those out? So what we're doing, since we're featuring this uh, here today, um, we do have a special pre-publication price on the book. If you want to order it in advance, we also do have the DVDs at our booth. And uh, so Sonia will pass out something for you. Maybe some, someone will give her some help there, too. And uh, we'll put something in your hands. Let me tell you a little bit about the organization of the book. So the first part of the book goes through what we just covered, why hemorrheology is important. And then the next half of the book is a program, a specific program, how to improve hemorrheology. And what we decided to do was something a little bit different. Some of you are familiar with a book that we came out a couple of years ago. We actually... Uh, launched it at ASI two years ago called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. And uh, I noticed something interesting. So I actually brought a few of the books along if you haven't seen it. 
So uh, this is it right here, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. I know some of you have seen the book, purchased the book. How many of you actually have this book? Okay, so some of you, a minority. Um, our goal in writing this book was to, well, let me, i ask you, true or false, was to give a high blood pressure book that Seventh-day Adventists could read in the leisure of their home. That was our primary reason. How many of you think that was our goal? No, what we were trying to do is write a book on high blood pressure that would impact the whole world. Okay? Our, our target audience was not Seventh-day Adventists. So at least I'm reassured that since most of you haven't bought the book, that, our, that, that, that this doesn't uh, belie that you weren't our target audience. But by the way, by the way, we, we wanted to give a comprehensive approach to blood pressure. It's called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. And in the book... We wanted to do justice to all the elements that are important, which cannot neglect the spiritual elements. Is that true? Are spiritual elements important parts of a healthy lifestyle? Now, how many of you think a secular publisher would like to publish a book that I'll just tell you the truth, the longest chapter in this book is on spiritual health. How many secular publishers do you think would be excited about that? Not many. In fact, um, uh, one of the most prestigious uh, organizations that reviews books, it's called Kirkus Reviews, reviewed our book, gave it, uh, it was a recommended book, but it wasn't in their highest tier of recommendations. And here's what they wrote, and I'm quoting this pretty accurately. They said, the authors made one small misstep. And what do you think it was? It was including a chapter on spirituality in the book especially one that mentioned biblical principles. Now, it's really interesting. We wrote the chapter on spiritual health to reach a secular audience, but we used the principles from the Sermon on the Mount as eight timeless prescriptions for healing. What do you think about that? I had a Muslim patient in my office not that long ago. He had actually read that chapter. How many of you think he was offended to read a chapter was taken from the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's overt in the chapter. But we said these are dealing with principles that are held across spiritual lines. Even atheists and agnostics believe in the benefits of humility and forgiveness and reconciliation. What do you think? What do you think the Muslim felt? He said this was a wonderful chapter. I had a person who was a New Age spiritualist. She's not a Christian, she read through that chapter. What do you think she had to say about it? She said, that was an amazing chapter. That was amazing. Now listen, I believe in full disclosure. There are other people, and I'll, I can't explain it any other way, but I'll use a medical illustration. How many of you have heard of anaphylaxis? Okay, an anaphylactic reaction, right? You, you maybe eat strawberries, you're deathly allergic to them, and uh, what happens? Yeah, you could, you, you, your blood pressure can just drop to like nothing. You can die, right? Peanuts. Yeah, some people have anaphylactic reactions to peanuts. I have come to conclude that there are some people in our society who actually have a spiritual anaphylactic reaction to the name of God or Jesus. No, I'm serious. I'm just telling you. Because I, there's people that have looked at our book and they've said, this is terrible. You know, you mentioned God in it. You know, or why did you put this in a health book? But we're glad we did. There's far more people that are being blessed by that chapter, 
But we do get some one-star reviews every now and then. And uh, by the way, um, the book is doing very well. I don't know, I may have thrown something in here. Yeah, we, we've received three uh, national awards for the book. Um, it's carried by, uh, by major booksellers around. This is uh, a Barnes & Noble event I was doing. And I just pulled this up um, today to see how things were doing. This is the third top book in all of Kindle's uh, preventive medicine books. And it's number four on their cardiology books. Um, God has blessed the book. It's reaching literally hundreds of people a month. And in that chapter on spirituality and health, as we go through the background for the Sermon on the Mount, we have to give the cultural background. We have to mention sin and salvation. We talk about the state of the dead. We talk about the Sabbath. Have some of you heard of these things? Actually, we expose people to most of the biblical truths that God has entrusted to us as a people in a way that is designed to be non-offensive. So um, if you're not using that as a resource, um, definitely. We, we have the books here for you, and, um, and they're available. But um, I want to tell you, too, that part of the reason the book got the visibility it did is because of you. Um, one of the reasons books get visibility is because people buy it, and they share the book, and they tell people about it. So one of the things that you may be doing in health evangelism that you don't realize is by, um, by sharing Adventist books. And um, my conclusion here, because of what we we're seeing, is the world is longing for insights that Seventh-day Adventists have concerning reversing disease with natural therapies. And that's why people are buying the book. And that's why it's getting generally very good, good reviews. And my point is, published medical resources can open doors for sharing truth with your communities. So because of what the Lord's been doing with this, we've been doing some other projects as well. And the first one I want to tell you about, although you have some materials you can purchase in your hands, some information about them, I want to tell you about something that's free. So we found, there's another reaction we've had from a few people when they see this book. Actually, the last person that wrote a review on Amazon, she gave it one star. She said, I'm sure it's a wonderful book but I'm a caregiver for a patient with Alzheimer's and it looks uh, too difficult, okay? Um, by the way, if you've read the book and you like it, you know, go to Amazon and, and give it a, a good review. Um, if you don't like it, I guess in full disclosure, I guess give it a bad review on there. But, um, but the point is, there's really a battle out there. I don't know if you realize this, but we talk about a spiritual battle. We've actually seen it just in the publishing world. Um, there are Buddhist people logging on and, you know, giving the book, you know, one star. Uh, one of my co-authors uh, found that out. He said, I noticed all the, anything that mentions God, this guy logs into Amazon and gives it a one star. Um, now, it's really, really interesting world. So, uh, anyway, um, what I'm mentioning is some people look at the book and they say, this is just too much to read. Uh, there's a lot of graphs, tables, a lot of stories. Most people say it's easy to read. But what we did is we developed a free online lifestyle program. And the reason I'm telling you about this is this has become the structure for our book on hemorrheology. And I'll, I'll tell you the, the connection there. So right now you can go onto YouTube, 30 Days to Natural Diabetes and High Blood Pressure Control. You'll find it on Facebook. Uh, my ministry is called Compass Health Consulting. You can find it under that. And what you'll find is you'll find five to six minute videos, one per day. 
you can invite someone to view this and we'll engage them with an Adventist lifestyle message, especially focused on diabetes and high blood pressure. But after we produced that, I said, you know what? This is exactly the same lifestyle, the same general principles as help blood fluidity. And so I had this draft for the, uh, the Methuselah factor that I'd started working on some years back, and I said, you know, this is really relevant. This can be tied to this same outline, these same 30 daily tasks, because people want things in small pieces. And what we're finding is these simple videos. They're be being used by dietitians. They're being shown in churches. You could show a five to six minute video. These are free. You don't need any, there's no copyright on them as far as sharing them in that way. I mean, we don't want you to, to produce them and sell them. Um, but use those because it's just like coming into my office and getting specific pointers on healthy lifestyle habits. So that is the outline for the blood fluidity series, for the Methuselah Factor series, if you want to do it in your community. Okay, that's our website. How many of you think you can remember compasshealth.net? You say, well, Dr. DeRose, we're here because we want to improve our cognitive performance. Okay, we don't want to commit to anything. What does a compass do? Gives you direction. And what are we trying to people, what are we trying to point people to? Jesus and health, right? So compasshealth dot what? Why is it dot net? Why is it dot net? What? Yeah, Jesus wants us to be fishers of men. Okay, can you remember that? Compasshealth.net? If you go to, if you could just remember that and go to our free materials section, you'll see a link to the videos and other free materials that we have, okay? So remember compasshealth.net, and all of you know can remember free, right? You got it covered, okay? Okay, you'll see things like this. We've got many videos and other things there. Um, this is, um, churches are using um, our books and DVDs to put on a church-based program for high blood pressure. Um, you can see here what we're seeing. This is, a, you know, pretty small numbers. I think five churches have shared their results with us. And um, comes out to 25 people with high blood pressure who went through those programs. A lot of them say, boy, those are small churches, Dr. DeRose. But I like small churches. That's what most people attend, small churches. And you can use this simply, just a, a few of the videos and the book, and uh, there's no training, there's no uh, uh, sh viewing fee that you have to pay me to show one of the videos. And you can see here, in four to eight weeks, they run the 30-day program, and typically four to eight weeks, average person lowering their blood pressure some 17 points systolic, and what, about eight points diastolic. Okay, compasshealth.net. Something else free for you. You know, I'm not just here to sell you things, but I want you to leave ASI. I want you to be more energized about being involved in health ministry at your local church level. Are some of you doing that? I mean, we got great, great resources in the church, right? So many of you use stuff from, from WellSource. Have you heard of WellSource? Any of you here know anything about WellSource? Okay, you've heard about their resources? How about depression recovery? Dr. Nedley's resource, Michigan Conference, a lot of great health evangelism resources, CHIP, right? Are you, you, so, we've, so what I'm saying is there, and you, some of those programs, there's a bigger hurdle to, 
implement them. If you're a small church, you feel it's just too much work, what we try to do is, is more simple resources that you can use kind of out of the box and do something with, okay? And that doesn't mean they're better than anyone else's. In fact, in some respects, they're not as good. We don't have the whole infrastructure. We don't have, you know, um, you know people that you can call, you know, immediately. And, you know, we don't have all kinds of re people that can do research on these things. So we're not talking about one thing being better than another. We're just talking about other options so that you shouldn't leave ASI and say, boy, I wish we could do something for our community. What are we going to do? But there's health resources that you can use. Okay, this is something that's free. Um, the North American Division Health Ministries, every year they have a health Sabbath. Are you aware of this? And they put resources out there for you to use in your churches. Uh, this year, 2018, the featured health resources were from our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. So you say, Dr. DeRose, I don't want the book. Well, then go and at least get the PowerPoint slides and the script and use those because are you aware how many people have high blood pressure in America today? you have any idea? Let me ask you the question a different way. If you live a normal lifespan in America today, if you end up living a normal lifespan, what is the likelihood that you will have high blood pressure by the time you die? It's about 90%, 90%. And this is true worldwide. So if you want to reach your community with something, you know, you do, you know, Wes Youngberg's program, you know, diabetes, win, wellness, we got all, but do something, okay? That's, that's just my plea. Do some type of health ministry in your church. These are the, uh, the resources we use if we're doing a um, reversing hypertension series in a church. And uh, this is a follow-up series we have. And the reason I'm showing you this is because it fits in with the Methuselah Factor book and video as well. Um, some years ago, we were working with patients in our community. And many of them we had contacts with. And we said, well, how can we engage these people on, you know, on biblical topics? We knew they were interested in health because they were our patients. They'd come to programs that we had done. So what could we do? We actually developed this series called Healing Insights from the Gospel of Mark. So actually, I go through the entire Gospel of Mark, the 16 chapters, in eight sessions. They're half-hour presentations, eight 30-minute presentations. You go to our website. Do any of you know what our website is? That's right, compasshealth.net. Go to the website, and where do you think you go on the website? What part of the website to find... Free materials. You go to free materials, and we've got outlines to lead discussions based on each of those 30-minute presentations. So you show the 30-minute video, or you do it yourself. You say, look it. It was interesting to see how Dr. DeRose did it, but I could do a better job than him. And uh, no, it's fine. That doesn't bother me. Okay? And I'm going to share some material up front, and then we'll discuss it. Or you can put in the DVD and then talk about it. Now, I know some of you are you're saying, you know what, I've heard about all this stuff. You just put in DVDs and play them. When I was pastoring, one of my heroes in health evangelism was a guy, he had just come into the Adventist church. He was not a public speaker. I mean, anything but that. He was a blue, re retired blue-collar worker. I mean, I think the guy stuttered, if I remember correctly. But he had an amazing talent. You know what he could do? That's right. He could put DVDs into a DVD player and actually get it to work. 
And one day I walked in. He was actually leading a follow-up series. I think we had done Dr. Natalie's Depression Recovery Seminar, and he was doing a follow-up series, actually using another bridge series that Don McIntosh has. And I walked in, and here's this guy. He's got 20 people in the room from the community, and they're watching a video. And then he had, well, what did you think about it? I mean, how many of you could ask that question? What did you think about it? He said, what happens if no one says anything? Well, ask the question again. <laughs> okay. Okay, here's what you'll find on our website right now. So I told you, we're telling you about how you can use these materials in health evangelism. So what we've got is the book that's due out in October that you can order right now. You should have a, a sheet in your hands. By the way, why don't, if you've got a pen, write on that sheet three digits. I want you to write three digits on that sheet. The digits are six, three, and seven. They need to be in that sequence, six, three, seven. Would any of you like to hazard a guess as to what six, three, seven refers to? That's right, that's our booth, 637. So if you fill that out, bring it to booth 637, you can get the special uh, pricing on the materials. And what you'll find on our website, under, guess what? Free materials. So we have a lot of our blood pressure materials first, then you'll say how to run a, a Methuselah Factor seminar in your community, and it'll show you what you do. All you need is this DVD and the book. And uh, it shows you how to run a five, week program once a week where the people when they go, get, go home they're watching those five to six minute videos those free videos we have online because they're covering much of the same material that we cover in dealing with blood fluidity and right in the middle we have a cooking class how many of you think cooking classes are effective ways to uh, bond with your community I mean these are powerful these are powerful um, you say, but Dr. DeRose, I don't know how to cook anything. Okay? Well, there's someone in your church that can cook something. And believe me, there's a lot of people who don't know how to use a crock pot and make beans. The first week in this program, now I'm going to start giving you some, you know, some of you are saying, well, okay, we, we want to know more about hemorrheology. I'm going to give you something right now that can improve your blood fluidity. And it has to do with eating more beans. You know, one of the most powerful foods in our diet are beans, legumes. And I'm going to tell you something. We've got a whole section in the book, The Methuselah Factor, on legumes. And we talk in there about lectins. Have you heard about lectins? Some people are getting worried about lectins. Lectins are natural constituents of beans that medical research shows have health-giving properties. So don't believe anyone if they're telling you you're supposed to get all the lectins out of your diet. I'm not going to mention any popular books or videos, but uh, this is not God's program. God has given us beans. Now, if you're like Ellen White, you know what Ellen White said about beans? They were poison to her, okay? Definitely avoid beans. No, really. I mean, if we were to, to, to make a lifestyle program based on what every one of us in this room could not eat, what would we end up with? Yeah, it would be very small, if anything, right? So are strawberries a good food for most people? They are, but if you're allergic to strawberries, should you eat them? No. So someone goes on the strawberry-free diet and they say, I've, I'm feeling so much better. Well, they were allergic to strawberries. So don't go to your, stand up in your church and say, I'm on the strawberry-free diet. Everybody get on it and you're going to feel so much better. 
Okay. Same with avoiding beans. If you have problems with beans, yes, that could be a problem. But let me tell you some of the reasons why beans are so healthful. One is they have something called leguminous fiber. Leguminous fiber. It tends to stabilize blood sugar. It does something else very interesting. How many of you have heard of cholecystokinin? You heard of that? CCK? I see a few of you revealing that you're medical professionals. Well, we learned about CCK in the old days when I was in medical school as a hormone that was involved in causing the gallbladder to contract. Okay? It literally refers to that. Cholecystokinin refers to a, a hormone that would cause the gallbladder to move or to contract. We now, know, now, we now know that CCK also has another function. It is a satiety hormone. If you eat leguminous fiber, it actually preserves your CCK level longer, so you're less likely to want to eat between meals. Interesting, isn't it? And one of the things that worsens our blood fluidity is, guess what? Carrying extra weight. Okay? So, anyway, we draw illustrations like this in both the video presentations and in the book, and then in the DVD series that you can show in your church. Now, for those of you, we do give you a way out. If you say there's no way we're going to do a cooking class, you can show my uh, video, Changing Bad Habits for Good. Okay? The first half hour, if you haven't use that. Uh, that's a good resource that fits in with this series as well. Okay? As they go through this, uh, this series online and as you use the program in your communities, they're going to be exposed to things like this. Seek spirituality. Now remember, we're trying to, we're trying to engage people who are secular people with biblical principles. Now, some people, they'd say, this is disingenuous, Dr. Rose. You're labeling it as a health book. But look, at, here's what we know. As we look at these biblical principles, they are in line with sound science. It's not disingenuous. I would be disingenuous not to include these things. So how many of you um, remember how to factor numbers? You remember how to factor a number? Someone factor out the number 14. He's coming up with 2 and 7. How about 21? 3 and 7? How about 28? 2, 2, and 7? Okay. Um, how many of you noticed something about 7, 14, 21, and 28? Is there any relationship between those numbers? They're all multiples of 7. As people go through the online program... We encourage them every seventh day to have a day of rest. Have you heard of this concept before? Now, it's not a doctrinal thing. We're not saying they have to keep the Sabbath. But we're inviting them every seventh day. And so as you're going through this program with them, as you're doing the Methuselah program in your church, and you're showing the DVDs, and they're watching at home, let me just kind of show you what's happened here. I know many of you are reading this in detail. You've got your field glasses um, but you can go on the website and look at this up close. Right after they watch that 14th video that says Seek Spirituality, they're meeting in your class. And, uh, and you actually will show that five or six minute video in the class again. Because a lot of people, you know, they get an assignment and what do they do? They don't, they don't do it, right? Were you like that in school? Would you do all the assignments that the teacher gave you? You're not wanting to commit. 
I have a lot of smart students. They say the smarter we got, the, the more we realized don't do what the teacher asked you before the class. It was just too much work. Um, some of you say that's true. I don't know. I didn't ever told my students not to do what I was asking them in preparation for the class. But what I'm telling you here is after you view that video, then I say here, again, this is, we're writing this to reach a, a general audience. If you are part of a faith community group that meets weekly, invite attendees to your place of worship. How many of you think that's radical? Could you handle that? Do you know some people never come to your church because you've never invited them? I mean, is this sounding real? Has anyone ever come to your church that you invited that you were sure would never come? Really, do special things in your church. Invite people to come. Invite people to come to worship. They will surprise you. They will actually show up sometimes. Okay. Um, well, let me read, read you a couple of testimonials here. Um, this is an Adventist pastor who run, ran the uh, blood pressure program in his church. He actually posted this on Amazon. This is one of the best books that I've ever read to help transform my lifestyle. Although I was previously following several of the suggestions in the book, I decided to use this as a community outreach program in our city. We had dozens of individuals. I know this is true. We had like 40 or 50 people come. This is a church with 20 members attending. We had dozens of people go through this program, and I said that I would go through the 30-day program with them. I figured 30 days isn't that long to try something. The truth is, in that short amount of time, we had several within our group seeing their blood pressure either normalize or drop to close to normal ranges. Some dropped 50 points and have been completely taken off of their blood pressure medications. For myself, I'm sleeping better and have seen my blood pressure normalize. This book is just an incredible resource. If you're suffering from high blood pressure, I can't express how useful this book will be to you and your community. My point is we need to get, we need to use things. We've got all kinds of things. We could have testimonials about depression recovery, about uh, uh, what, uh, what's Wes Youngberg's diabetes program? Diabetes Undone. You know, we could have CHIP. But do something, okay? Um, this is a dietician writing about the book, an Adventist dietitian, just finished the book. Wow, the Beatitudes chapter is just incredible. Praise God. It was a blessing to read. Much needed principles for both patients and clinicians alike. Have you thought about writing a book just devoted to this section on the Beatitude principles? Okay. So, now, that's how to use the resources. We started to give you some exposure. We've got our last uh, block of time to give you 10 strategies to improve your blood fluidity, okay? And Sonia, my wife, is coming up with an important message. No? Okay. No, this is an important message. This is good. Thank you for bringing it up right now. So this, it's so good to be part of a team. You know, it's such a blessing. And part of the team that I'm part of is uh, health professionals in the Adventist church. How many of you know about AMEN? Okay. The Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. Have I got that right? Okay, Amen is having a luncheon meeting in the Conway room across from the exhibit hall tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. Okay, if you've, if you've not heard of Amen, if you're a, a physician, a dentist, you have, anyone can come, I, I'm sure, is that right? No? They have to be medical. Okay, yeah, so we're going to discriminate. Actually, I'm not involved with uh, putting on the meeting, but it's a very good organization. And, uh, and I encourage you to be there. I think I have other commitments, but 
um, it's going to be worth your time if you can attend. So do they need to sign up for it? Okay, they need to sign up in advance. So go to the Amen booth. Do you know what that is back there? The Amen booth number? So go to the Amen booth and sign up if you want to go to that, uh, that meal and that meeting. And I hear they've got a special guest speaker. Is it true that Mark Finley will be speaking? Among others. Yes, okay. So it'll be a very good meeting. And uh, so 10 strategies. One of them, by the way, one of the best strategies you can do is connect with other people. Yes, what do you have for us? What is the booth? 825 and 827. Okay, 825 and 827. So just a stone's throw away from booth 637 that you've all committed to memory, right? Okay, so we already know that donating blood will help our blood fluidity. What are some other things that we can do? What do you think about this one? Drinking more water. Now, I really want to tarry on the beverages. All, most of the slides you're seeing are actually in the DVD series, okay? But I've actually put some material from the book that's not out yet that you really need, and I want to skip to that. So some of you that are speed readers are benefiting from these, but like I said, uh, the slides are in the videos. This is a fascinating study. Actually, drinking pure water will help you lose weight. It actually revs up your metabolism. Very interesting stuff. Okay, I want to talk with you about caffeine. And... Um, the particular material I want to show you is right here. I actually first had this slide entitled, Want to Live Longer, Drink Coffee. And I said, well, if someone walks in, in the middle of my presentation or toward the end of it, and takes a picture of it, I'm going to be in trouble. Or if you're just taking pictures, they're going to say, look at Dr. DeRose's slide, Want to Live Longer, Drink Coffee. And uh, anyway... So this is, I'm just, this is actually the text from our book, uh, The Methuselah Factor. Perhaps an even more amazing example of the connections between caffeine and bad habits came from a widely touted study published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So let me give you a little background. So as we're writing this chapter about beverages and, and specifically about caffeine, I tell the readers that my biggest concern with caffeine is not anything that it does physiologically, but what it does behaviorally. Now, I want you to think about this. If you look at the counsel that God gave us about avoiding things like tea and coffee, was the primary emphasis on how it would affect our health, or was the primary emphasis on something else? It was on the mental and moral effects. You study it out. Read through the spirit of prophecy, okay? So because of that, I'm looking at the medical research by God's grace through a filter that he's given each one of us, okay? New England Journal of Medicine. This is no fly-by-night medical journal. 2012, one of the first studies came out that's been touting this concept. It's been coming out recently. Want to live longer? Drink coffee. What does the research show? Here's my, my take on it, just reading from the book. The lay take on this large study, with data initially coming from over 600,000 people, was that coffee drinking helped people live longer. As one related press release expressed it, want to live longer, drink coffee. How many of you have heard things like this? Have any of you looked at the research on this? 
That's what we're going to do right now. You need to know this. This is absolutely incredible. The data actually painted a very different picture. When the raw data was analyzed, the researchers observed, this is an exact quote from the New England Journal of Medicine, the study that the world press said was helping people live longer by drinking coffee. Here's what they said. In age-adjusted analyses, coffee consumption was associated with increased mortality among both men and women. And as I was reading the study, I was shocked. What are they saying? Here's their raw data. The more coffee you drink, what happens? The sooner you die. That's what the data showed. And what is the media saying? Drink more coffee and you'll live longer. I said, how can this be? This is the New England Journal of Medicine. How could they publish something like this? So I start reading through the data. Because what they found is the more coffee a person drank, the more likely they were to die. But, but, but. They found something else, very interesting. In fact, they found exactly what you would expect if Ellen White was divinely inspired. Namely, that the coffee drinking was impacting people mentally, spiritually, and behaviorally. Because what the researchers found is that coffee drinking just happened to be associated with most every bad habit that the researchers looked at. The more coffee someone drank, the more likely he or she was to, let's look at the list, smoke cigarettes, drink more than three alcoholic beverages daily, eat more red meat, have lower educational attainments, neglect to engage in vigorous physical activity, and consume fewer fruits and vegetables. Now here's what really is amazing about this study. Then, using advanced statistical analyses, they controlled for all the bad things that coffee drinking was associated with. And after they, quote, controlled for all those bad things, lo and behold, they made an amazing discovery. The more coffee you drink, the longer you live. Is that not amazing? It's absolutely amazing. Do you see that you've got... You've got a, really, in your hands, maybe even on your smartphone. I mean, I have the Ellen White resources on my smartphone. You, you've got better material than those scientific experts speaking on television. This is the kind of stuff we're trying to put in our resources that we're trying to put in your hands. What about alcohol as a beverage? Well, isn't alcohol good for your heart? What do you think? Is it good for your heart? Is it good for your heart, alcohol? You're my star pupil. You gave me the right answer the last time when I asked a question whose answer was depends. Okay. He doesn't want to come, he didn't want to take my leading. It depends. That's right. It depends. He's right. It, overall, it is detrimental. But here's an interesting thing. Um, and we, we talk about this in the Methuselah Factor book. If you're on a lousy lifestyle, there is evidence that alcoholic beverages lower your risk of heart disease and heart events. Let me look at this, and then we'll, we'll show you a little bit more. 
This is uh, one of many studies now. This is a large cohort study, a large uh, study where they look at people over time, looking at alcohol consumption and the risk of cancer. And uh, what these researchers said is, quote from the journal, the cancer risk increases with what? Every drink. So that even moderate amounts of alcohol, such as a small drink each day, increases the risk of these cancers. And what did they conclude? Even though, now here's where we're going with this, even though light to moderate alcohol consumption might decrease the risk for cardiovascular disease and mortality. So, there are some people, they say it might. Their, their wording's very careful. Because what we're finding in people on a lousy lifestyle, drinking alcoholic beverages might lower their risk of cardiovascular disease and death from cardiovascular disease. The researchers are saying the net effect of alcoholic beverages is harmful. Alcoholic consumption should not be recommended to prevent cardiovascular disease or all-cause mortality. Why are they saying that? I mean, this is mainstream researchers. They're saying alcohol is bad for you, just like the fellow in the second row said. It's bad for you. It's not good. You say, but what? I want to lower my risk of heart disease. They say you're going to die sooner from it. Let's look at, this is uh, from our book, The Methuselah Factor. Some of you say, well, the book isn't out yet, but much of it's already written, I told you. Since virtually all major alcoholic beverages are derived from plants, these beverages still have varying amounts of beneficial phytochemicals. Right? So when you ferment the, the grapes, do all the good things that the Creator put in the grapes, do they disappear? No, there are still some good things in grapes. Therefore, a person on a phytochemically depleted diet, in other words, a person who does not eat many fruit, fresh fruits or vegetables, may get more heart benefit than harm from an occasional glass of wine. But what's the price they're paying? They're increasing the risk of cancer, they're increasing the risk of death, they're increasing the risk of digestive problems, there's all kinds of behavioral and moral effects that no one in the medical literature is talking about, at least not many. Let's go on. However, when individuals eat a diet with plenty of plant foods, they get no added heart benefit from alcohol. This has been documented in the medical literature for over two decades, as testified to by the famous Oxford Vegetarian Study. When health-conscious vegetarians were evaluated as part of this study, drinking alcohol did not reduce their risk of heart disease death. And there's the reference right there if you're wondering where it is. Okay? So this, this is not new research. And so if someone tells you, well, I drink alcohol for my heart, what should you say? Well, there's all kinds of things you could say, but maybe one thing you could say is, I'm sorry to hear that you're on such a poor lifestyle. I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know you were on such... Now you say, Dr. DeRose, that would not be very tactful. Well, I'm just trying to make the point. Do you see what I'm saying? So a lot of this stuff in the popul popular literature, they're not looking at the big picture. And we have the ability to cut through that. So I want to challenge you, do health evangelism in your churches. And for those of you that are health professionals, get this material out there. How much do you think it cost us to put together a 30-session DVD series, five to six minute, video, excuse me, video series on YouTube and Facebook? 30 presentations, five to six minute presentations. How much do you think that cost us? 30,000. 
Well, it could have. It could have cost us 30000 But we just filmed it in my office, just a simple production. It really didn't cost us much at all. I mean, it cost, uh, I don't know what the actual price tag was, but it, was, it cost more in my time than it did in, in shelling out a bunch of, of money to uh, production executives, okay? So I'm just saying, get stuff out there. God's giving you an experience. Share what you learn. Do things for your community, and it will make a difference. Well, you say, Dr. DeRose, you only showed us two things that can help our blood fluidity. Well, you may have gathered eating more plant foods is another one. In the list is stress management, regular exercise, losing weight if you're overweight, taking care of your dental health. That's on our list, things that can improve your blood fluidity. And of course, there's a, there's a place for a variety of things as well. But uh, we have a few minutes left. If there's a burning question, we'll take that right now. We do want to be a little bit interactive. I, I, yeah, one other question for us, please. Okay, so the question is about blood thinners, okay? You know, I, I wish there was another term, you know, other than thinning the blood or blood thinners. All of these things work in very different ways. So aspirin, for example, poisons your platelets, the clotting cells. Um, you know, warfarin works on vitamin K-dependent clotting factors. We, we say they all thin the blood. Um, so this idea of thinning the blood is really quite, um, quite imprecise. But the point is simply this. Um, most all of us have things we could be doing that could improve our blood fluidity and would help lower our risk of disease. If you are on a prescription medication to thin your blood, I'm not recommending that you throw away that medication and just uh, read the Methuselah Factor book. Because if you have a serious problem, if you have an artificial heart valve maybe, maybe you uh, have been having strokes, maybe you have atrial fibrillation. Um, we right now, when it comes to atrial fibrillation, I know there's probably a number of you in the room that want to share your testimony of how you have not had a stroke and how you're using all these natural things. I could share with you stories of equally conscientious people who have done natural remedies and have ended up with strokes, okay? So if you want to experiment on yourself and you're sure the Holy Spirit's leading you, I mean, I'm fine with that. But right now, if you want to follow the clearest evidence that we have, in some of these conditions, you do need to be on a medication. Now you say, Dr. DeRose, I thought you were a natural doctor. You know, I, I'll just be honest with you. When did God give us the comprehensive health reform vision? When did he give Ellen White that vision? You remember? Okay, 1863, how long ago was that? You know, I really believe if we had seriously followed the light God had given us, we would know right now, I could tell you, yes, you know, here's the three natural things you do to thin your blood, it works better than Coumadin. But I don't know what those are right now, okay? And if you're my patient, I'm not going to experiment on you and say, well, let's try these things, see if it works better than a conventional blood thinner. So what I'm saying is, is if you have a diagnosed condition, work with your doctor. If you think the Lord does not want you to take a medication, 
be very careful that it's really the Lord and it's not just wishful thinking. You remember that story about the missionary whose son died, remember? He wouldn't give his son quinine because Ellen White had written against it. And what does the account say? Ellen White told him, if quinine works, use quinine. If it's the best you know, my understanding is it's not a violation of principle. Okay? Some of you may, may disagree with where I stand on, on some of these things, but all of us are in the same position. We're trying to move our communities, move our people to a more natural lifestyle and ultimately to Jesus. Okay? Hopefully I've given you some other idea on some other resources that are out there available for you as an individual and as a church. And uh, pray with us as we continue to try to develop resources. And other people in our church, many are doing this. Let's pray together. I'll stick around if you've got individual questions. My wife is already headed back to the booth if you want to rush there before they uh, chase you out in a few, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you've allowed an abundance of light to shine on our pathway. And... I know probably some in this room are feeling like me, a bit frustrated, that it seems like there's so much to talk about and so little time to discuss it. It seems like sometimes we only scratch the surface. But Father, if we leave here today just with a better appreciation that really what you've given us is cutting-edge science, we don't have to apologize to anyone for what you revealed to us decades ago. And that if we put our energies into sharing that material, it's really cutting-edge information that will draw people into really, into your church and draw people to you. Please help us to catch that vision, to leave ASI uh, more determined to share what you've entrusted to us and that it would make a difference in our communities. And like that pastor whose story I shared, will we get involved in reaching out to our communities with these materials? May we see an improvement in our health as well. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI. Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.